Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Jen Cash is my guest today. She's a former partner at Quinn Emanuel in San Francisco, where she practiced for nearly two decades. But the years of stress and 3,500 billable hours took their toll, and she ultimately took a sabbatical that has turned permanent. She's currently living in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, where she started a nonprofit called Virgin Independence, which helps transitional youth in finding jobs and training. She's also in the early stages of building a retreat for lawyers in need of support managing their stress in healthy ways. Jen is amazingly honest and upfront about her own struggles with burnout and dependency and gives us an important lesson in the very real health risks of pushing yourself too far. Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for joining me. No problem, Megan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about today's conversation because I think it's going to be a little bit different than some of the other ones I've had. But um, why don't we start at the beginning? And um, could you tell me sort of what drove you into the law in the first place? What made you go to law school? Um, I went to law school like many probably did by default. Um, you know, I was a, one of, an English major, <laughs> creative writer. Mm-hmm. and um you know needed money and so i thought well what better way than to do to take the lsat and then went to law school from there you know the age right. of 24 the age of 24 with the even back then <laughs> um and the, there wasn't a lot of options for me at that point yeah that sounds very familiar <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure so how did you like it i mean given that you were there by default did you enjoy it i loved law school itself i mean i'm a big believer in learning as much as you can in one lifetime that's kind of my general you know default for anything um so yeah. i loved law school itself i thought that the education i got which was largely you know changing the way that you think about the world was extremely valuable and you know and i enjoyed it and did well in law school itself so definitely was glad i went to law school <laughs> yeah And while you were there, did you sort of know what route you wanted to do? If you were sort of going there because you thought it would be economically beneficial, were you always kind of on the, you know, big law track? Um, No, not at all, actually. Um, You know, I reword a lot of different ways. I mean, I think that, you know, it's it's hard for me to separate sort of where I fit in in law school versus, you know, the 9,000 recruiting interviews I did as a a partner at Quinn. So, I mean, I think for me, the way that I describe it best, and this is how I looked at it even in law school, is there's two types of people that go into law. And it's very similar to if you look at, uh, if you have two rooms, if there's one room that's completely empty and you want to build something, or if there's one room where somebody's already messed everything up and you want to fix it. And I've always been Mm -hmm. a fixer. And so for me, um, I like the puzzle aspects and sort of the different, the putting things together that litigation provided. And so I quickly wanted to go into trial litigation. I want to be a trial lawyer. Yeah. And so is that what you ultimately did? Yes, I did, but but kind of oddly by by accident to a certain extent. Um, I summered at a big law firm in New York first and then came out to 
when I decided to do something different because I didn't want to wear a hose in the subway in Manhattan in the summer. Um, oh my God, <laughs> having just come home on the subway and having issues today, I could tell you it does indeed stuff. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do this forever. I'm not going to do this forever. So, um, but I, yeah. and I, and I still think I feel that way. Fortunately, I went to a firm that didn't require uh, suits. So, um, you know, Quinn was just a, the firm that I chose to, to go to ultimately. And I summered out after my second year in law school was uh, just more of a, you know, fast paced. It was a startup kind of feeling. And I really wanted to be a part of something that was cool and different. And, you know, they paid the same. So I went to a, I went there with the idea that I could get more experience because it was a smaller shop than some of the other ones I was looking at at the time. And so that's really what drew me to that firm. And, and then as a result, it ended up being the case that because they were focused on trial, I did get that kind of experience very early on in my career. Yeah. And was it what you thought it would be, sort of taking it out of the law school context and into the actual practice context? No, they didn't. They don't prepare you in law school for being a trial lawyer, oddly. And even though law schools are definitely geared more towards litigation. And, yeah, know, it's like they definitely don't prepare you to be a corporate lawyer, well, from my experience. I don't know that they prepare you for being a big law firm lawyer in general. Um, I think it's more yeah. sort of the concept of being a lawyer. And, and certainly some of the sort of, you know, I would say smaller shops or, or in the government work as well, the kinds of trials that you have, but, you know, not the big, you know, big type of trials that I was handling. And so, no. And in fact, I, I always say I loved, like law school, I also loved the first, you know, say, I'd say three or four years, the best of my practice is probably as an associate, um, just loved the learning curve because every day was so different and so steep. And because we were always at Quinn, um, a big pusher on early responsibility, I had just mad types of cases, crazy fun stuff really early on and beyond what I could have expected and beyond what my peers were getting in there. So, you know, I mean, I went to trial and took a witness as a third year associate at a law school. Oh, wow. So, you know, I had yeah. just real, 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 real experience very, very early on in my career. And so I loved that aspect of it. It was not something I was anticipating. Yeah. So how did your experience evolve? Because it sounds like you didn't get into practice and immediately decide you hated the entire nature. Oh, no, no, no. And, and I still don't, don't hate it. I just hate the hours, um, you know, yeah. and I mean, I think in, 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 in big law in, in general and, and sort of the overall push money, I mean, there's a lot I don't like about it, but that I don't necessarily know that it applies to big law or just in general, sort of the capitalist structure, maybe, so to speak in the world. Um, yeah. but I think for me, it was, you know, when I was, I made partner after six years, which is very early and, um, you know, I was a junior partner and had a ton of responsibilities running my own cases, had some pretty significant clients of my own, you know, it was really, you know, in my, you know, really busy. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, I think that after about, you know, after sort of like, a, you know, four or five years into that part of it, you know, when I was at like maybe 10 years of practice, um, you know, I was looking, you know, in my, in my second marriage, looking at a second divorce. And, um, yeah. I think for myself, you know, billing 3,500 hours a year, which is what I was doing at the time. Oh my God. Yeah. And I have been doing that. That's insane. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and, and, and the money was just so, big that, um, I just feel that I sort of, you know, lost myself. And I would say that probably happened for me at around 2010, 2011, um, when my marriage started going South and then I got divorced in 2012. And at that point I was managing partner of the San Francisco office. And I really feel like, um, I wasn't able to change the direction. The firm had gotten so big and some of the things I loved about it, like helping, you know, younger lawyers get going and, and really sort of building a practice that was new and meaningful. Um, you know, it was largely for me at that point, just 
bill, 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 and, you know, go to trial for 18 months in Texas and nobody's fault, not blaming anyone for that. It's just the nature of the practice. And, and, um, at one point in time, I just stopped being able, felt like I just no longer could do it. I just had such burnout and exhaustion at that stage. I I can't even imagine. I mean, I think, I think a lot of us kind of get on that, you know, treadmill of just going and going and the momentum just carries you, but that is, that's a crazy amount to be working. Yes. Um, so how did it start to percolate in your head that, you know, okay, I might actually need to change something. And were you thinking maybe I could go to a smaller firm or go in-house or sort of what was your thought process um, when you started to realize you needed to do something? I mean, it's kind of a twofold process for me. I mean, there's, and this is something, you know, I'm focused on now as well and what I'm doing, doing now, which is, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, difficulty with respect to sort of acknowledging the fact that you're suffering from burnout. And so for myself, I, I relied heavily on Adderall, <laughs> um, yeah. to get me through and, you know, sort of a, a large percentage of my energy and my ability to sort of, you know, not sleep and keep the job going was, was on Adderall. And so it wasn't until I started to really feel the physical effects of that, like of not sleeping and, and feeling, you know, almost like I was just like, sick. Um, and I had a really, really long trial in 2015, 2016 that lasted almost a year, a year and a half. And and we lost, and it was a very difficult, um, loss. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, I went to Indonesia for a month, um, and went, did some, uh, you know, real deep sort of Ayurvedic healing type of things and went back after that and did do another trial and, and was still, um, focused, but I, you know, at that point, I really felt my health was more important, obviously, than um, than the career. And I was, you know, looking to see if there's maybe a way to take a hiatus or sabbatical and talk to John about that. And then in October 2017-ish timeframe, I took a six-month leave. And that's kind of where it went from there. And, and I didn't really know that I was not going to come back until well into that process where sort of the blinders of the everyday rat race focus of it, so to speak, wow. yeah. came off. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, sorry. But, no, that's, I mean, that's it. That's, that's when it happened is, is it wasn't, it wasn't like a thing where I was like even thinking about leaving. It was more just like a, I got to do something because this is not going to be sustainable. I'm going to, I'm going to die is how I felt yeah. really. And I think it's a real thing. Yeah. I think, you know, it, you know, on various levels, but people really do mistreat, mistreat their bodies in the effort to sort of just give more and more and more to the job. And I think that, you know, depending on where you are, that can be the culture of the firm. Um, And it's hard to get perspective because you're looking around and thinking, well, everybody else is doing this too. Yeah. Um, It's it's a weird feeling for me in particular. And I, I, I've written some stuff about having, not having a peer because for me at my level, there really wasn't anybody around. Um, You know, there's the, the aspects of my job, obviously that, that, you know, that affected me because I was a woman. And then there was right. the the women who, and then the women who I maybe could speak to who were maybe similarly situated. Many of them had children, and I do not. And that's you know a whole different sort of host of problems that goes with the practice of law. And so you know right. I had some really, frankly, some really fantastic uh, mentor and luminaries in my firm, Faith Gay, who now has her own firm, Solende Gay. Kathleen Sullivan, who was the dean of Stanford Law School and, and you know, luminary in constitutional yeah. law, yeah. and Susan Estridge, who's no longer with Quinn Emanuel, but who had been you know just fantastic mentor to me and I spent a lot of time with and you know she's you know wrote the book wrote some you know power and law and you know all sorts of stuff and has been a spokesperson on Fox News and so I had all these women to speak to and and this is how I describe it best it feels like I was with these women and we were in this elevator 
and we get up to the penthouse floor and we're all tired and we open up and the penthouse is like open up and it's like we've gone through the glass ceiling and we look out and there's like another ladder and there's like a box and a cement box and there's a ladder going up top and I can hear people speaking in their men <laughs> and yeah. and I remember thinking to myself ah, god I don't have the energy to go up there and I looked at these women and and they were like you know essentially, well, we got this far. <laughs> and I was like, well, right. what's around this? Do I have to keep going up or can I start over and go around? And I decided for myself, ultimately, that starting over was the way to go. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, it's interesting how, how it, you know, women in law firm plays out. That can be its whole other topic. Yes, but. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's it's all part of it. And I'm not suggesting, I mean, Quinn as a firm was very fair um, to women. I think that um, overall, though, in my view, the system is not set up in general. The yeah. law firm system is, is not set up to support people at the top. Because we so assume that once they get there and they have money and they've made it through the, you know, sort of the ranks of the associates, that there's no longer going to be problems that they need to address. And there is. And the problem is, right. is that there's no place to go and no resources available to them because they don't have this. They, they, they need confidentiality and they need, you know, support in a way that is embarrassing and that they're not willing to maybe sometimes let their egos be set aside to address. Right. And you know, this is a general problem of law firms is that they're not very good at people management That's right. in any form that maybe other institutions might be better at. It's just, it's sort of this multi-headed beast and often for a variety of reasons mm -hmm. and a variety of problems, just not very good at handling. Yeah. I mean, I think like I agree. And I think that the lawyers in particular, I think it probably happens with other busy executives, but lawyers in particular have an issue where um, there's, your, because your judgment is always so impacted, right? Um, your judgment is your, your, what you have. <laughs> and it's so right. important that you, there's a tendency to protect that at all costs. So when you're feeling burnout or you, you find yourself in some sort of a substance situation or you're you know, really not certain what to do, it, when you're at a very senior level, there's a tendency to deny it. And it, to yourself right. as well. And I think that gets very dangerous along the ranks of, of, of the profession when you have people who don't have any outlet for help. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping to do in the situation is to really address that sort of upper echelon of, of people who just don't understand that it's a lifelong process taking care of yourself. Yeah. So maybe that's a good way to transition into you can sort of tell us that after you left on sabbatical, you then decided just not to go back. <laughs> well, and yeah, I mean, short answer. Yes. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think for myself, you know, it's, it's a little bit more of an existential, uh, issue where I, you know, I, I, found myself again and sort of, you know, the, the decisions that you make when you're 24 are not the decisions that you make at 46, 47. Um, yeah. and, and for myself, the, you know, the only reason at that stage for me to go back would be the money. And, uh, you know, that was a hard call because it was real good money. And, um, yeah. and uh, you know, but at the end of the day, I felt that I can do more in the world for myself and for others in a different capacity. And because I'd gone to this Caribbean country that I found my skill set immediately could be beneficial to helping people who are really in crisis and in need, not not lawyers. I'm talking about the, the natives and citizens and transitional youth in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, it was immediately more meaningful for me to to use my experience and my skill sets. And I 
almost became a different person. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's really hard to even say. It's, it's funny for me sometimes to even, even on this podcast to talk about when I was yeah. a lawyer and being a managing lawyer and handling my cases because that's so not who I am anymore. And so I feel like to a certain extent um, that really puts me in this middle position to be able to help other lawyers in crisis to before they get to the stage where they, if they do want to return or to make the decision and maybe a little bit more of a reasoned way than I did, I kind of went to the extreme, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the hope would be that people don't push themselves that far before sort of backing off to take care of themselves. Right. But so tell us a little bit about what it is that you are doing in the Caribbean now then. So in the Caribbean, what I'm doing is twofold. I mean, first I have a nonprofit called Virgin Independence, which helps local um, transitional youth. And by that, I mean youth between the ages of 18 to about 30. Um, although, you know, obviously it's flexible in that because I don't feel that education programs and grants really impact the working the kids in the work of the prime of their, their youth. Mm-hmm. And so these are transitional youth as a way, you know, for the impoverished youth of these countries to help them figure out how to get small jobs on entrepreneurships, make their own money, connect and link them to people in the States like myself or other professionals who can provide them not just with resources and funding, which it does happen, but more importantly, with opportunities and ideas and training. And so that was what I worked at first. Um, but, you know, for, for me, the larger uh, part of it was to how am I going to bring my experience to this and how am I going to get other people to the small country called St. Vincent and the yeah. Grenadines, which is you know very far away and has only been a country since 1979. And what I realized is I need to have some sort of a retreat option for people. And so I've decided to start a project where I would go into law firms and to lawyers alike and talk to them about creating confidential opportunities for lawyers in crisis or lawyers who might potentially be in crisis or those who want to talk about it, you know, from a human resources perspective or from a you know management perspective to go and have conferences and retreats geared towards the helping busy professionals find meaning outside of the workplace. Um, and that's and, and specifically helping, you know, th- sort of through my program, giving 30 percent back to the Virgin Independence program, but more importantly, really sort of giving them an opportunity to see life in a different culture, because I feel that what happens in a lot of other types of recovery or, you know, ungrounded type programs, even Burning Man to a certain extent provides some of that in our current culture. Um, But I think that to go to another country and to really unplug and take a look at the rest of the world, looking at it from a different perspective, allows you to really see some of the problems inherent in sort of the way and the pace that we have in our lives. It's not it's not like that in the rest of the world. And, and it's not like in <laughs> Europe and, you know, Europe and Canada and the United States all have this problem right now with, you know, pharmaceutical abuse, with burnout, with depression. And it really is important for people to take some time for themselves. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves in real big trouble down the road. And so my idea is, is instead of instead of using instead of waiting until it's a crisis, why not start to introduce some self-care options into um, the cultures of our, of, of, our, of our busiest professionals? You know, and it's applicable and scalable eventually to athletes and celebrities alike. Anybody right. who finds themselves in a pattern where they can't get out of the system and they don't want to just go to some vacation spot and chill and drink, you know? And yeah, so yeah. having some sort of meaningful retreat opportunity led by somebody like myself and professionals who have similar, you know, have knowledge of, of how to address some of these issues to talk about it is what I'm starting to do. But we're real early in the funding stages. I just, when I saw your, your um, discussion on Facebook a little bit, you know, I was like, I would definitely want to talk to you, but I, it's very early. So I'm not sure exactly how the logistics of it work out, but that's the idea. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. I think it's, 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 
admirable to take sort of a negative experience that you had on some level and try and turn it into a supportive experience for for others. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of what I'm trying to do with this podcast <laughs> in general is just to give people a lifeline to say, look, I know... I know a lot of us kind of accidentally ended up somewhere, but it doesn't mean that that's where you have to stay. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think, I don't know that I really would call it a negative experience, although I certainly, there was aspects of it I would like to not <laughs> experience um, because, right. you know, we learned so much, you know, as I said before, earlier in the podcast, I'm all about learning. And so for myself, lessons that I've learned in this whole process, both at the law firm and leaving, and also in this process of building something for myself outside the United States and really adjusting to a life in a very different socioeconomic bracket and culture has been, you know, I couldn't trade that for anything because it's been amazing to learn this. It's the, the, the challenge now that I have is bringing it back and getting other lawyers um, and, and other busy professionals to pay attention to the need for it, which I think is very real, which is, you know, we have to have some sort of resource available to people where they can go when they're in crisis that's going to allow them to really, frankly, check their ego. Yeah. The ego can be yeah. damaging to us in this profession, very much so. So, how do you see this developing and where do you see your own career going from here? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think it, the way that I, that I could best say is I, is I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right now I'm raising money and uh, my firm's been supportive and I've had some support from other firms and I hopefully they'll continue to be so. Um, what I'm doing now is I'm trying to get funding, the you know, sort of seed money, funding, small funding to get it up and running and uh, host some retreats in, in March, April, May of next year, geared towards a little bit more of the subject matter um, that is appropriate for lawyers. You know, how to, how to identify people in crisis, how, what to do if you're in crisis, and maybe have some conference-like meetings there. Um, I'm going to be speaking with the ABA and some others who are more involved in sort of recovery, which I'm not familiar with at all, um, you know, from like the AA perspective, which obviously is a component here. Um, but yeah. I also feel that the 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 use of medicinal marijuana in this instance, which is big in St. Vincent, Jamaica, and in San Francisco, where I where I practice, is a growing area where Canacare is being used a lot to help people with unwinding and, and certainly people who are also near retirement. Um, there's a lot of opportunities, um, but at this point right now, I'm trying to you know get, garner sort of what I would consider to be thinking or intellectual support for the project, less so the operations, which will come from subsequent to that. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's a big, it's a big shift and you don't know exactly where it's going. Are you in your mind, you're like, I'm, I'm done with sort of formal practice of law or is that a door that in your head is still open? I mean, I think for me, I would, you know, I would definitely do and, and I've been, and I'm, you know, been picking up a little bit of, of sort of, you know, consultant work here and there just because mm -hmm. it's, it's something I've always done, but I really feel for myself, I've gotten the bug for public service and I feel that from, for what my best, highest uses at the stage in my life is to teach. And so I, you know, to teach by example and to lead by example. And so integrating myself into this community has been a real challenge and it's taken me 18 months to have sort of this group, this really understand a different culture. And then I've been hired by, to, to, by um, a company down there to put together their retreat program and another company in Jamaica as well. And so I feel that for myself, what I'd like to say, I like to say, I'd like to be the Gertrude Stein of the Caribbean someday, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but um, I think that at this time, you know, looking into what is it that people need um, in terms of to, a getaway, how can we create a confidential program where people are, you know, what, you know, when you, when you, 
are looking at, at particularly people dealing with opiates or um, Adderall, um, giving them my card and building some sort of programs for them confidentially where I can help them through the process because I did it myself. And I also understand what it's like to be in big law and in that situation. And so yeah. it's, it's really a personal um, project for me, but one which I do feel has a very big uh, upside once I'm able to build the infrastructure, because I think the ability to be able to have something like this confidentially with somebody with my type of experience at at a firm like mine is unprecedented. Um, You know, so not very many people have had that kind of duality of experience. And I've already put in the hard time 17 years as a Quinn lawyer, and then, you know, 18 months learning how to, you know, regroup and rebuild my life in a very different way. And I can sort of guide through the middle path, which is help people decide if they do want to stay in practice once they feel they're past the stage of, of danger and burnout, because it's real. Burnout and exhaustion is you, you really don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's a real, it's a real thing. And I do think that exactly what you said happens is that people don't even have the mental space to realize that that's what's happening. Yeah. And and I think education through the ABA and and through other programs and dealing with, I mean, even MCLE credits probably will be a component of it. Um, But I'm just getting started where I'm coming back to sort of reality, so to speak, or back to, back to my experience and to the people who I know. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very tireless advocate at all times. So, you know, I think that what, when I get the right people's attention to help build something, um, I think that doing something like that and also at the same time helping the Caribbean, a third world country that it needs is a need of advancing their sustainable development goals is a real positive thing for both the world and also the legal community. Yeah. So if you could sort of talk to yourself when you were getting into law, would you have, I mean, I assume you would have done a few things differently, but looking back, do you, do you still feel like you got on the right path, you just needed to change paths at some point? Or do you wish you would have done something completely different? Um, I'm not a big regret person. Um, So I mean, I would say to anybody looking at law school, it's a great education. But keep your eyes open to all the different options. Don't necessarily find yourself funneled into one of the things that the career counselors tell you. Um, The education itself is incredibly valuable. And by education, I don't just mean law school. Education is associate, education is a partner, education having money, education not having money. Everything in life is is a lesson. And so if you continue to move forward, as Einstein used to say, life is like a bicycle, just keep pedaling. If you continue to move forward, legal education is a great one. Um, But if you're somebody who's really interested in fixing world problems, call me instead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, there are just a lot of different ways to go about, you know, I think a lot of people do go to law school with that mentality and then get, uh, you know, sort of disillusioned by realizing that they're, oh, everyone's just going to big law and, you know, I think a lot of us get into the wrong path within law. So I, you know, for me, leaving law was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, staying is the right thing to do. Maybe it's just finding the right place within the legal field that that matches your interests and your lifestyle a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I would encourage people in one of those things, this program that I'm running, I I would be encouraging people to actually find a way to stay within the law. And that's the point for law firms and supporting it is you lose so much of your value and invested in people when you lose somebody at 15, 16 years in their career to burn out, you know, the partners who leave the firm or choose a different lifestyle. And so encouraging um, the firms to take a look at self-care programs, self-care sabbatical type programs for their senior partners that really, or any type of training or education or, or, and the like 
for them to help them, you know, really address some of the issues that might just be habits that they picked up from when they were younger. You know, the, the race and push to partnership or the race to push to get, you know, equity partnership. And those create bad habits that once you're a partner, maybe aren't necessary anymore. And so taking a look at those. And, and for me, certainly, I think if I'd had something like what I've done planted in six months or so, um, I might have returned. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. But because of the fact that I'd reached such a point of burnout, it didn't feel like that was an option for me. Yeah, yeah. I think it is an interesting... Um, I have a friend who left her corporate job to go into uh, health and wellness coaching. And she went to a law firm to sort of pitch her business because they had sort of a health fair. And I feel like maybe that's the way to go in firms is to develop a culture of promoting resources that help people balance their lives earlier rather than later in the process. I feel like there's some businesses there that people could could build in addition to the one that you're doing. Absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. And I think that there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of push for mental health awareness as well, both in the in the legal world and otherwise. But mental health in particular, I think, is important for lawyers because that's what we use is our brains. I mean, not saying that other executives don't, but you know, when you're when you're selling and the asset that you're selling is your thinking and you have something where you're dealing with mental exhaustion or you're dealing with addiction or whatever it is that many, many lawyers face, depression as well. Um, you know, it's important that the law firms themselves have a resource and an outlet that's confidential to help their lawyers. And that's I think where, you know, really, you know, I'm not I don't think what I'm running is necessarily going to be things that maybe individual lawyers seek out and find because I'm not going to advertise it that way. What I'm, you know, I feel as if the law firm firm, identify somebody or, you know, as being a potential at risk for something, this is an opportunity for them to handle it in a way that would be discreet and and positive, as opposed to, you know, pushing the partner out of the firm or, you know, forcing some sort of situation where it's not beneficial to anybody given the longevity of the relationship between the partner and the firm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's an amazing story. I think sort of you have a lot to bring to the discussion about what's life is like it at a firm and the fact that you can switch gears. It doesn't matter if you've been there for 17 years, you know, it's, there's always an opportunity to rethink where you are and what you're doing and what you want to do for the rest of your time here. <laughs> your time um, on the planet. Time on the planet. planet. <laughs> no, no, I, think it's, I think maybe as we get older too, we start asking ourselves that question a little bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, meaning, becomes, and, meaning becomes more meaningful as we near the end, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, hopefully neither of us is particularly near the end. I don't think so. You know. it's, it's, there's, always, there's always time. I'm not, we're not 24 anymore. Let's say that. That's true. There's always time for a new beginning. It's there's never, yeah. too, it's never never too late. And I think that's what's really, it's in, and seeing and going to, and I encourage anybody, even, you know, no matter what you do to try and experience, really experience another culture and another culture and service, because I think that you can't figure, you cannot understand really how, how much we live in an isolated sort of environment in the world and in, in the United States than, until you've seen that. It's, it's really an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. I second that. I'm a big believer in, in traveling. It's mm -hmm. one of my biggest passions, but all right. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, thank you so much for this. Is there anywhere that, you know, people can find out more about what you're doing or follow you or is that to come later? No, you can you can check out for now virginindependence.com, virginindependence.com. We're updating the website, so my phone number's not good, but the email on it is. So Virgin Independence is, I started this originally in St. Croix, but um, that's the best place. Or go to linkupvinci.com, L-I-N-K-U-P-Vinci.com. All right, great. Well, good luck Thank with you. all of this. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Thanks, Megan. Good luck to you too. Great right, talking. Thanks. Take care. Bye.
I think the biggest takeaway from this conversation is that burnout is real. There's a serious physical and emotional impact of working crazy hours, getting no sleep, all in a stressful job. Maybe you're in the early stages of that now. Jen reminds us to take care of ourselves early and often. Don't wait until you hit a breaking point. You might be able to muscle through it, as Jen did, but that comes at a cost. And of course, taking care of yourself doesn't necessarily mean leaving law practice. There are undoubtedly many places you could practice that don't lead to this intense kind of burnout. But if you feel like your job is taking a physical toll on you, something needs to change. I think it was telling when Jen said that she feels like she's an entirely different person now. Getting out of the world she was in allowed her the perspective to see that she didn't have to live like that. And even many years into being a partner, she's been able to walk away and start a new chapter of her life doing work she finds meaningful. I think she's an amazing example of the principle that it's never too late to course correct. Take care of yourselves, nerds. Life's too short not to. 